If you've been following along this season, you already know that one of the really special things that God has been doing is using PodMatch to bring about people I would never have met otherwise. But here's the other piece that I want to share. I don't overtly go and search out people or specific stories. In fact, when I bring a guest on, even if there's something I want them to share, I will never force somebody. I will never push somebody to say what I want them to say. I want everyone to share what they want to share. What this means is that I could have pursued healing stories. I could have pursued traumatic stories. What I'm trying to do to the best of my ability is pursue God and let him bring the stories that he wants to bring. I didn't know our next guest, but God did, and he knew her story. And while I never would have forced her to share the things that she's about to share, God knew that it's going to be important for someone. So God made the connection, we sat down, and we started a conversation. And she shares some heavy but very important stuff. So I want to give a trigger warning out the gate. She talks about domestic and sexual abuse, among other things, but these are all elements of her story of how she knows that God is God and God is good. It's also a story of childhood trauma. The stories that she shared happen when she's just a kid. And I'm glad that we're able to push into this during this season. Because while adult wounds do matter, there's something uniquely difficult about childhood trauma. Not just in the experience itself, but what we even do with it. So I encourage you to really take in Kimberly's story knowing that God has something for us. You're listening to episode 76 of the Where Did You See God podcast. Father God, I just thank you that you are God and you are good. And I just thank you for another opportunity to explore who you are and how you're at work and just for the opportunity to do so with Kimberly. And I thank you for who you've been in her life, even this morning, for the ways that she's aware of and the ways that she isn't. And that we just really know that this conversation is best if it's one that one glorifies you and two is one that we submit to you. So we give it to you. Uh, Anything we came in wanting to say, if you don't want us to say it, give us the wisdom. And if there's anything we didn't want to say that you want us to dive into, give us the wisdom to do that. Um, So we just give it to you. We celebrate now that you are going to work. And we just look forward to seeing uh, how you could do abundantly more than we could ask or imagine, even through a conversation. So we pray that you are glorified. I was praying in his holy name. Amen. So Kimberly, I'm looking forward to our conversation. You and I don't know each other. I know very little about you, but Podmatch connected us. And more than that, I believe God connected us. And there's so much in the little that I know about you and what you shared, there's so much that you really could speak to on this topic of healing, but I'm excited to see where God takes the conversation. (laughs) So before we get in there, I have this thing that I've started doing and one day it's going to backfire on me, but, but for now it's fine (laughs) is I want to create a simple way for someone to just quickly share who they are, but I want it to be fun. Mm -hmm. So without any planning ahead of time, I try to come up with something and here's your prompt. (laughs) So when we're recording this election day is tomorrow. And so I've been getting tons and tons and tons of those little brochures and flyers and postcards saying who this candidate is and why they're so great. So I want you to imagine that you're preparing a mailer that's just going to be all about Kimberly, but what you got to say has to fit 
on that election mailer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so tell me, I just got your mailer in the mail. It's got your face smile on the front. What does it say about who Kimberly is? Uh, a uh, mother of five, four adult children, one minor, single, a hardworking woman that works as a case manager in the community, one of the best state employees, very powerful, determined, loving, kind, goal-driven woman that if ever said, no, she can't, she's going to make sure she can. <laughs> That's I love it. ending. <laughs> I love it. You got my vote. <laughs> so, you. <laughs> you know, as I mentioned, you know, you shared just a quick, quick, you know, couple sentences about some of the things that you've experienced. And instead of me going in and, and picking something, you know, when you think of this topic of healing and when you've been thinking about this podcast episode, what is it that God's been bringing up in your heart? What's been pressing is that this process is ongoing mm. and situations and circumstances will come up that will leave you into repeating, flowing with the love of God, seeking understanding, wisdom, and forgiveness. And you've had a lot of situations in life where either you've had to practice that mm -hmm. or to learn that even, I mean, from a young age. Right. Well, from a young age, my foundation I had was taught and I put that into practice through my adult years. I had an adopted father that instilled uh, the love of God, forgiveness, not ever having a spirit of hate because of situations, but of the love that God has for me to show and never not know that the love for me is also for other people. He would say, Kimmy, God loves you. Now, you know, Daddy Bill loves you, but God loves you more. And so that was my foundation of no matter what, to continue to love and not hate. Know that there's a relationship even as a child because I heard him pray mm. to God. So he taught me that even I could have a relationship with God of talking to this power that loves me, loves me unconditionally, loves me more than this daddy bill. And so I remember going through PTSD. Well, it was PTSD, but I was diagnosed for mild retardation and I was in resource for um, all my elementary school years and statistics said I wouldn't read or write. But I remember getting to the sixth grade and even with my parents not really embracing, you know, the mental health part or getting me help, they were very, they were AME Zion. So they were really structured as far as the denomination and that you pray about everything. You keep everything in the home, mm -hmm. what's in the home stays in the home and you just pray what God will fix. He will fix. No other person can fix it. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. And so I remember in sixth grade. Um, I just prayed and called out to God and said, I don't want to be different. I, I don't want to accept that. I can't remember. I'm not learning like the rest of them. Mm -hmm. It was just a miraculous touch from God because seventh and eighth grade, I tested out of any type of resources, wow. educational help, honor roll, seventh and eighth grade. You wouldn't even know if you didn't go back into the paperwork of my elementary school years that I came from that. Wow. That's amazing and powerful. And particularly at such a young age, yeah. like in sixth grade to pray that type of a prayer mm -hmm. 
And then to see God work yeah. in that prayer, like that had to change how you understood God and how you prayed from that moment on. It had me to accept that there was a powerful spirituality that I was connected to and that I could be connected to as long as I had the free will and the choice to call to my father, the father that I depended on uh, being my father from having the history of putting so much love, faith in my biological father and my biological mother that I was disappointed through. Mm -hmm. That turned from then on, even though I had a very strong connection with my adopted dad, but that miraculous healing and that connection, spirituality drew my acceptance. And that's where I got that yearning of accepting and embrace it all. From that moment, it geared my mind to accepting that no matter what situation or circumstances or inabilities that I come across or challenges spiritually, it's nothing but a prayer away. It's nothing but a thought away. It's nothing but a love away mm -hmm. for it to be changed. And it can be. Mm -hmm. And this is why so much on my heart, because it's ongoing. Mm -hmm. It's ongoing. I may be 48 and single and been through divorces and, uh, you know, abusive relationships and stuff. And I still feel that connection, but there's still that process of going through challenges and reaching out to God and saying, here I am. Mm. I need the love. I need the strength. I need the heart to continue to be softened and not bitter, but better yeah. to help me to be wiser, you know, to help me through a process, you know? Yeah. You know, as you're talking, what is unique about your story compared to some of the other conversations I've had over the last several weeks, has there been many conversations that the big event happened in the adult years. Mm -hmm. What you've been tapping into is there's so much that happened when you were a child. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned pouring your love into your biological parents and them letting you down. You mentioned the struggles within school and just developmentally being able to keep up with your classmates. And, and so for a lot of people, those foundations could be the big thing that shapes who they are, and it could lead them to be pessimistic about God right. or even doubt God exists, or it could lead them to think negatively about life or themselves. But what was powerful is at the start of this, you shared that foundation that your adoptive father was building that, Hey, I love you, but God loves you even more than I do. And God is here and God is present. But what you've described is there was still hardships that you are navigating and still trauma. And you mentioned PTSD. So how do you keep on walking on that journey you've been talking about when you've seen a good moment, there's still a lot of hard stuff happening. Right. There's still a lot of pain. Right. Well, I know for a fact, the release of the book, and then as many times as I share, it always continue to help my healing process. Mm -hmm. But I also stay true to myself I'm determined to not let my past define who I am. I made a choice and it starts with us, you know, because we're free will. It starts with us. And so I made a choice that I have to learn and I had to invest in me and love me from coming from, like you said, the past of self-esteem being broken at eight or nine, where people wouldn't understand, but my adopted mother was doing what she knew. 
she was taught to do to point out your features are like you have a nigger nose your color is not as light as us but we still love you we still Mm. accept you at eight Mm. or nine brings a self-esteem and awareness of I hated my features yeah so I had to start learning me and learning myself and now I barely wear makeup but when I do I've invested in myself that loving my flaws is very important. Mm -hmm. So I've learned to love my flaws, what they thought, you know, that they pointed out as my flaws. If I love me, I will attract people that know that I love me Mm -hmm. and not be searching for people that just say that they love me, but can feel that I really don't love me. That and being rejected and abandoned, that whole past of I had to work through a healing process of connecting with God and sharing and connecting with, um, I advocate for mental health. I had a therapist. I still have a therapist to make sure that I can vent and share how I feel knowing that I'm in this race of progressing, not going backwards, not living a life of depression, of anxiety, of looking for expectations. And that can be a haunt because years I lived for expectation of my biological mother to accept me, accept mm. my children. I was the one that had the first set of grandkids and it never came. Oh. But in my mind and in my spirit, I lived in the hometown for years. Then I left from the hometown where we all stayed in and came back still yearning still using energy to expect and embrace, to chase love, to buy love, to force love. So I had to continue this healing process of saying, God, show me this is not what love is meant for who you created. Anyone that you created and you have created us all, you didn't create for us to have to buy love Mm -hmm. or force love but it's supposed to come natural and given and not only given for us to be able to receive. You know, like I said, those abandonment issues, rejection issues that followed me through different situations in my life that I held on because I didn't want to feel that rejection. Mm -hmm. How dare you are not good for me in my life, but I don't want to let you go. I don't want to feel that empty space anymore Mm -hmm. until I have that control and say, I don't want you in here. You know, Mm -hmm. that's so unhealthy. So I had to get a renewness of mind and it's still a process of working and renewing my mind. Some key words I pray every morning, humbleness is included. Lord, keep me humble. And then the better is always included. Lord, I never want to be bitter, but better. Mm -hmm. Use me each day for your glory, not for mine, but for yours. That entails yeah. for me to forgive. That entails for me to love the unwanted, to reach out to the ones that have cast me aside. Then do that and, and protect me and undergird me, you know? So all these things is daily for me. But also, I never forget to put me first. And these are things that I had never did years ago. At 15, I had my first child. And like you were saying, my story is a lot different from a lot of people. And then I know that my story is very similar to a lot of women. Mm -hmm. But because of my past, I remember someone asking me on an interview if I could erase everything that was in my past, but keep one memory. And I said, one? Oh, my God. Well, I was going to say the birth (laughs) of all my kids. I said, no, one. So I said, okay. 
my first birth, my first childbirth, which was at 15, my oldest daughter, even though I turned 16, August the 13th, and she was born July 31st. And I was told during my pregnancy that I was going to have a 16th year old birthday party. But now that I got myself in this situation, I'm a woman. So I do what women do. No parties. All parties goes to the baby. Mm. So I had to switch gears at 15. Wasn't physically ready. Wasn't mentally ready. But I had to do what I was told to do. But that remembering that childbirth, it was like the love from God for me to start my foundation from that broken foundation of my biological mother to say, God, you're giving me a gift Hmm. that I can love and be loved. So it's definitely, definitely a turning point. Wow. I mean, there's so much that we could just sit with and (laughs) have separate episodes talking about these different parts of your journey. But what God was really bringing on my heart while you were talking is you said this phrase of, uh, you know, things following you. And there's this thing that people do when somebody is struggling, that they'll look at that person and say, well, you just need to think more positive. Mm -hmm. You just need to push a little harder. You just need to do a little more. And we embody Mm -hmm. that, right? We, I thought about it when you were sharing about the comments that were made about your appearance. And as you were sharing about it, I could hear a little bit in your voice. I'm like, I think this may sometimes still like mm-hmm. hurt a little bit, still sting a little bit, mm-hmm. maybe hurt a lot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're decades past that. Right. And we have a tendency to hear somebody say that something's still bothering them and be like, well, you're not over that yet. Right. As though these things are things that you can get over just by sheer force of will and positive thinking. But I think what you and I know is that sometimes there are things that do follow us right. and that's hard and challenging but somehow God is still God and God is still good, mm-hmm. even when these things won't go away, right. <laughs> right? right? I think that's what's really powerful about what you're sharing is there are a lot of those things that are not just following you, but that want to pull you back and want right. to drag you down, that want to remind you of these false ideas about your identity, right. that want to remind you of the trauma. And specifically, you, know, you mentioned earlier PTSD. And I think what's so striking about that is that's not simply negative thoughts. Like that is a clinical thing that happens that when it happens, you, you can't control it or expect like it just kind of, you can do some things to try to circumvent or try to diminish. But the whole thing about PTSD is that it can hit you with no notice. So tell me more about that, because I feel like there are people that will listen that either know they experience PTSD or don't know that that's what they're experiencing, but are experiencing it. And I feel like there's something powerful that God has for you to share in that, that could encourage them. So tell me more about your own journey, navigating PTSD. I would say the carrying on the PTSD, which, you know, in the seventies wasn't really recognized or tested. I believe my first episode of PTSD was just before I was dropped off to my adopted parents at five just before that had happened that night, which this was like the worst of the worst physical altercation. It was no secret. There were physical altercations and argument throughout my years of staying with my biological mother and father up until five. It was a really bad physical altercation. I remember just like it was yesterday, we had to ride around. It was my sister, which is two years older than me. 
and I was forced to go into the car. My mother and my father was in the front seat and we rode around, we rode around until it got dark. I remember stopping at several people's houses and now I found out, you know, putting putting two and two together, they were trying to see if we could be watched while they mm. kind of finished up their episode or whatever. But we ended up being with them the, the entire time until it got dark. And I remember it was dark and we went up to a gas station and he literally blooded her face like he punched mm. her all in her face. And I remember the blood and I remember my sister in the back seat just going off like crying and yelling and crying and yelling and i remember frozen i remember just like it's yesterday looking at this brown little girl with all this hair and i could not cry i could not holler i could not i could not say anything it was like i was frozen and was numb and I was looking at this woman that I loved, that I thought was one of the most beautiful women in the world that didn't understand what was it about me that she never loved. And then I was looking at my dad of saying, in my mind, periodically when you come home, you would put me up in your arms and I would wish that you would stay home longer because it just seemed like I felt love when you came home and you're doing this to her. Why? I'm not understanding what in the world is going on. So all of this is going in my head, but I couldn't talk. I couldn't voice it. And I remember going to my grandparents' house and they were still arguing. And my grandfather, I remember this look on his face and I couldn't put together everything that we're saying. And all I know is that he got my, my father, my biological father was going back and forth with my mom about the kids and this and that and the other. And so he got upset and he said, Kim, come on, come on with me. And I'm looking and I'm like, okay, this is a man that I know, but I don't know where we're going. And I get dropped off at his sister's house. Now I've never stayed a night with this woman and her husband. And I remember of them, but not knowing them. And I remember him taking me there. He had some talk with my um, adopted mom that then, I mean, wasn't my adopted mom then, but um, his sister. And I remember him saying to me before he walked out and I'm looking at him like, what is going on? And he said, this is where you're going to stay. I'll be back. Hmm. And I remember them closing the door and here I'm so traumatized. I'm, fr I'm still numb. I'm still visualizing this woman that I love, bloody face. My sister's not with me. I'm here with this new people. And I remember them saying, come on, you're going to be okay. This is your room from now on. I'm going to get some night clothes on you. And this is where you're going to sleep. And that was my first experience of trauma for sure. Hmm. A whole lot of feelings and things that I couldn't understand and piece together that impacted my mind and started my journey in life as a challenge. And now the PTSD that was never recognized or dealt with or treated, my first relationship at 15, he was hitting me. Hmm. And I couldn't, couldn't understand how I got to a place where I seen this at that age that was so horrible, but yet that same spirit of that silent and that fear came in the same form at 14 with the PTSD. Mm. 
And that first fight, it traumatized me. He was older than me, three or four years old. It was taboo in my parents. As far as boys, we had certain names that we called our body. They were very, they were a lot older. So they were very strict, but it was almost an unrealistic life in my raising of how your cycle comes on, how female goes through different changes, the body parts on different people, men and women, all of these were made up names. If you uh, swallow a black waterman seed, that will cause you to get pregnant. Stuff like that. That is just, mm-hmm. you know, and it was so crazy because I'm going to back up and share this and maybe help someone else. That wasn't my first sexual experience that drew me to that. I was 12 going on 13. And here I was starting to find comfort. I was starting to find somewhat protection and peace in my newfound home. Hadn't got really there vocally because, what, like I said, the PTSD was not really treated. And for years, I, I didn't talk a lot. Lord, thank you for that deliverance. Because <laughs> I can talk now. <laughs> but but um, I didn't talk a lot. At 12 and 13, on that side of the family, on my adopted side of the family, there was an uncle that had did time years ago for molesting an infant and was put in jail for years. Well, he got reunited with my adopted family because that was like her raised son or brother because she was the oldest of all of them. She was the oldest of my biological father. So she was considered my paternal aunt. He got reunited with her again. And I'll never forget one Sunday went to church with us at the same church that I grew up in and was raised in there, Amy Zion Church. And I remember a celebration coming back home because he had went to the altar and he asked God to forgive him. And I remember my mom saying, you see, he's now a new creature in Christ. You know, you're special to him because your all's birthday is on the same day. Well, before I knew it, he was living there. And before I knew it, he was molesting me. Mm-hmm. He started with kissing me in my mouth and then fondling for over a year until he finally found someone outside of the church because he was dating couple of people from the church. My mother didn't approve of her because she was kind of more of in the streets. So he moved out. But Mm. I never shared that incident, but it cultivated me curiosity and then not saying no. Why should I say no when I didn't say it before? And I had to go back and accept that foundation of my sexuality was not the norm. And was not my fault and shouldn't have never happened. Mm -hmm. But I had to go back and accept it did happen. And for years, I tried to avoid it happening and it happening in that way. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to share that because maybe it would help someone else about the accepting and embracing. But it definitely started a trend of my desire of the sexuality of getting, and I wasn't promiscuous, it was just like the voice. He started coming around my neighborhood and he lied about his age. And I was in high school and the 10th grade going cheerleading. And it's no way I could tell my parents that some boy was liking me when I never told him about my uncle. Yeah. Yeah. One thing led to another where I was starting to skip school with them and skipping practices and I'll never forget the first time I had many times had said before then 
my stomach is hurting. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it until this particular time, which was the first time of actually my virginity being broken because with my uncle, it was just fondling and I would always get scared when he wanted to go to the other and run in my room. Mm -hmm. I remember shutting down and going into a traumatized period and saying, it's not going to matter. I might as well say nothing and just let it be. Hmm. I appreciate you sharing all this. I mean, it's heavy stuff, right? Yeah. And it's, uh, I, I think there's something, you know, you mentioned earlier that writing a book about your experiences became part of the healing process for mm-hmm. you. And you just mentioned now that in sharing this, you recognize there may be someone else that's positively impacted or encouraged by it. Right. But it's still not a small thing. Like you are actually, you are giving a tremendous gift in sharing yeah. your story that does come at a price because you're having to think about it and relive it. So I really appreciate, you know, your willingness to share. And as you were talking, what really stands out to me is I said this before, but I want to push it deeper. We live in a culture that really presses self-sufficiency. You can get through your struggles. You can rise above your issues. You can take control of your mind and you can be the best that you want to be. And what's so heartbreaking about the stories that you shared is how much of it you had absolutely no control over, right? You know, you did everything you could do as a five-year-old to love your parents and you could not control what they did and you could not control them giving you into the care of someone else. You tried everything you could do to just be yourself. And then you were told yourself's not good enough. You did everything you could to be responsible as a, as a 12 year old. And a 12 year old does not comprehend the stuff that your uncle was bringing to the table. Right. Like you, you just don't know that's right. not in your wheelhouse yet. Right. And then you can't control the guilt and the doubt and the shame and the questioning that comes from well, should I have known better? Like, well, I right. didn't say anything before. Right. Can I say anything now? Like, and so now you've got this additional weight of that trauma on you that now shapes everything else. Right. And on the outset, somebody can look and say, well, you shouldn't have done that at 12. You shouldn't have done that at 15, but it's like, no, 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 no. It's, it's way deeper and more nuanced. Exactly. Than that. Every decision exactly. that was made was shaped by five, 10, 12, 15 years right. of stuff prior. Right. And this is what's so hard is it's almost like somebody could look at that and step back and say, well, what in the world can you do then? If you can have that firm foundation, like you had that God is loving, if you can do all these things and try your best and yet uncontrollable stuff can bring trauma and wounds, somebody could say, what can you even do? What's the point? Mm -hmm. But that's not what you're saying, Mm -mm. because here you are having experienced all that sitting there with faith written on your shirt, <laughs> the sunlight streaming behind you, right? Like you are speaking something different. And so I guess my question is, how is it? And I agree with you on, on this, but how is it that in light of everything you just shared, you can still say that God is good and loving? The first thing that comes in mind is honestly, I live with a purpose. And that's to bring God's glory through everything that I've been through. I, I have accepted. I had to be the one to go through it and to be able to share what I'm sharing now. To be the person that I am now, would I do everything all over again? I sure would. 
Mm. I had poured all the love and I think I overcompensated, but I had good reasons (laughs) Mm -hmm. to my children, but I loved them like no other. I was excellent mother, very involved mother. The past and the man-made names were, were forbidden. I did better Mm -hmm. than my adopted parents. I always wanted them to feel the love of a mother. You know, I've got blessing again to do it one more time. At 42, I had my my little mini. So what I pretty much saying is as long as I given this mentality over to God, that as long as I'm living, there's a purpose for everything that I went through and what I am supposed to continue to do. And that is to Mm -hmm. share my smile, share my love, share my story, share my faith in God. Let people know that I still go through challenges. I still go through obstacles, but I believe in the power of prayer. I believe in the power of mental health, having resources, having a good support system, staying connected with the word of God and continuing to embrace all the healthy tools that you can, which is varies from people to people, but it's quite an investment when you get to a point in your life, regardless your marital status, that you want to invest in you. You want to be a better you. You want to learn more about you because we're all evolving and changing. But I'm a risk taker. I'm not about hypes now, but I love to explore new things, new restaurants. Uh, I love my music, all types of music. I'll gather uh, with all types of culture and different people because we're all human beings and we all need each other Mm. to make this world more livable for the season, you know, for the time that we're able to have it. And another thing Mm. I continue to remember is one earthly life that we're given. And I'm determined to give it the best as I can. I always think about my adopted dad. He, He passed away in 97 and that was probably my first experience with death and grief. And he tried to warn me and tried to prepare me before he passed away. He said, Kimmy, he said um, about two years before he did, he said, um, you're a beautiful mother, you're a beautiful woman, but daddy Bill won't be here with you forever. And I want you to be strong. And I broke down and I remember telling him, you know, you can't leave me. <laughs> you know, no, you just can't leave me. What am I going to do without you? And he only had a second grade education, second or third grade education. I know he, he shut oysters for a living. He got janitorial jobs throughout when I was living with them and stuff, but he was very wise and he would always ask for more wisdom from God. And he would give me these um, nuggets, life nuggets, so profound in my life that every time I start missing them, I start thinking about his words of telling me specifically one, he would say, baby, Kimmy, now you take care of your body. If you you take care of your body, your body will take care of you. You understand me? And then he would talk about uh, a man has, uh, he can have all the material things in this world, but if he's not, if he's not true to his word, a man's not nothing. A man's got to be true to his word. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> so, you know, he just give mm-hmm. me some nuggets. And, and then the last one, he would always think to spiritually. And I, and when I get weary in my walk and in my journey of um, here in my season of life, um, raising almost six year old, that acts like she's 60. He says, Kimmy, the race is not given to the swift nor to the strong, but the one that endure to the end. Never be so fast and want something so quick, but never give up. Just endure. And if you get knocked down, get up. You know, if you have to stumble, just move forward. That's what the race is given to, the one that endures to the end. And so when I get worried, that's what I think about. Yeah. 
You know, something you said got a thought going in my head and you were talking about essentially that we were created to love each other, to, to be in community, you know, and I think you and I have experienced that in many different ways where community became a powerful, encouraging thing where that shared love produced something beautiful. And the thought that hit me is it could be easy for us to just think of it on that end you know, we need to love each other more. Mm -hmm. But what if it's not just the positive piece, but what if the reality is that we are all connected and that our interactions will influence each other and we can choose those influences to be positive Mm -hmm. or we cannot do that. And the default might veer towards the negative because so much of your life was impacted by people who were making choices that weren't necessarily hateful. Sometimes they were, sometimes I don't know what was going on in your uncle's head to justify what he was doing. Right. But regardless that had an impact. So community impacts us. Mm -hmm. The choices we make impact beyond us. Yet we often just think that my choices are my choices and they only impact me No, Like every move we make has a ripple effect Mm -hmm. and we get to decide Do we just live for ourselves? Do we pretend like there's no outer impact and actually cause ramifications anyways? Mm -hmm. Or do we, like Jesus say, I'm going to love, I'm going to love my neighbor. I'm going to love others. I'm going to love because if I say I follow Jesus and Jesus follows his father and his father is love, God is love, then I've got to love. That's got to be what I do. Right. We can actually be the change agents between either what you have done with your children pouring love out into them. And their story is very different than yours now. Mm -hmm. Or we can be the ones that actually end up being parts of stories like you just continue the uh, your pattern. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I and you're right. And I had to make a choice. If it had to start with me with breaking generational curses, and stopping um, unhealthy habits, then it will start with me. And I had Mm -hmm. to choose that. I had to choose that and work at it. And then I'm telling you, if it was easy, no, because um, like you said, relationships happen. It takes a community. You're, you're not in a bubble where you just live yourself. Mm-hmm. But I had to learn healthy tools. I had to say, no, it's not okay to use sleep as a form of a tool to get over the hurt, to feel better, you know, because it wasn't working. I use that, but there's so many that have used alcohol, have used partying, have used drugs. And I'm not saying what I've used is any less than anything. I just know that it was a negative impact in my life and I had to recognize it. I also used work. I used work for years to not be able to sit still, to feel, to recognize that this is a repeat cycle and that the problem is still there. The hurt is still there. The situation, you know. You're absolutely right. And not only you said about my children, not only my children, I accepted and and embraced how God created me. First of all, I had to accept and embrace. He created me as a gift Mm -hmm. because in the first chapter of my memoir, I put the unwanted gift. I had to go and relive my Mm -hmm. whole life and accept. I was a gift. Every child is a gift. It's the receiver problem is what they do with the gift. Mm -hmm. So I had to accept and go back and say, you from the beginning was a gift, wonderfully and fearfully created by God's own hands to, like you were talking about, to be loved and to receive love. 
and to fulfill his purpose until he calls you home. And that's what I aim to do. Yeah. I love that thought about the gift that <laughs> the value of the gift isn't determined by the receiver. Yeah. Whether they accept it or not, understand it or not, does not actually determine the value. Like you are valuable, period. And if someone doesn't receive that, that's actually on them. <laughs> like they, they, they are missing out. Um, yeah. And I love that. That's it's so good. Well, there's so much more we could talk about. <laughs> the good news is, is that you have written a book. I so did. if somebody wanted to hear more of your story, right. they wanted to connect more with you and what you're doing, how can they do that? Um, it's called The Epitome of Kimmy and it's on Amazon. Uh, and I have a website. It's www.kimberlyannbell, the A-N-E-B-E-L-L. You'll find all my information. I'm available in any speaking events to present my journey, my story on different topics about PTSD, physical and mental abuse, um, adoption, um, abandonment, rejection, uh, parenting, any kind of issues that I had put in my memoir, I can relate to my own experience and also finishing college, getting a bachelor's in mental health and administration and minor in psychology and counseling. I love to share at any time. Amazon has the uh, book and uh, my website if anyone wants to contact me. And I'm also on Facebook, contact at Kimberly Bell. Maybe the different topics that I revealed in, in my memoir may not be for everyone, you know, but mm -hmm. they may know someone. So I would encourage, you know, to get the book and uh, share it with someone that you know that has similar situations. And the whole book is an open book, very real, very transparent that we can be overcomers and that we don't have to let anything define who we are meant to be and who we want to be. I'm destined to do that. <laughs> Before we go, is there anything else in your minor heart that you want to share? Just keep loving. Like you were saying, I love that when you said you're valuable. As we are created, we are meant to be loved and to also receive it. So let's go ahead and journey on together. And, and there's a lot of support. And I appreciate you allowing me to use this platform to be able to share. And I thank you so much. We are in this thing together. And I, am, I feel very honored to be able to let people know. A lot of situations I thought I was all by myself. And I've learned there were a million people. And, and you know what? I've also continued to remind myself that even as you hear the story about the both parents, I would always bring my mind back and say, but you know what? There's been a child that has endured much worse than I have. Mm -hmm. And I want to tell them you're special and I'm so proud of you and you did it and you can continue to do it. You will walk, you will run, dance through the streets, shouting praise to the During this episode, Kimberly references Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. 
Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for the darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. There's so much that's challenging about Kimberly's story, but particularly the reality that so much that she experienced was out of her control. When she was just a kid, the decisions of others impacted her in ways that shaped who she thought she was and how she thought life could be. And meanwhile, there's this God of Psalm 139 who knows her more deeply than she knows herself, who created her intentionally, who gave her purpose. And now that sense of purpose is driving her in such a way that 30 years ago, she may never have imagined. I was recently on an atheist versus Christian styled podcast called The Bible Says What? And through that episode and others that I've listened to, it's clear that one of the things that bothers Michael the most about this idea of God and Christianity is the reality of childhood trauma. There's so much childhood trauma in the Bible, and there's so much childhood trauma today around us, even in the church. And how could a good God allow childhood trauma? It is a hard question. In our last episode, we sat with Jerry and talked about how we tread that tension between trauma and faith. But childhood trauma is specifically painful because children often don't have the capacity to avoid it or escape it. Children might not even have the understanding to know what's happening to them. It is some of the most unjust trauma in the world. And this episode isn't about answers. It's about Kimberly's story. And Kimberly's is a story of facing some intense trauma from abandonment to witnessing physical abuse to experiencing sexual abuse to navigating emotional trauma around identity and capacity before we started talking, the two things I saw were faith written on her shirt and the sun streaming in behind her in kind of an angelic way. In other words, who I saw and who you and I just listened to is not who we might expect if we just looked at the trauma, if we just took those stories and then projected out what that would do to a person. Trauma can have long-lasting effects, but Kimberly knows a God who is bigger than her trauma. She knows a God who sees something greater than her best ideas or her greatest fears. And she is stepping in faith towards that. She still has hard days, and she will still have painful things to navigate in her future. But she has come to know God in such a beautiful way that was not determined by her circumstances, but might have been strengthened by them. We can all learn a lot about God from Kimberly. And so I want to encourage you, if you have experienced childhood trauma, 
whether it's abuse or loss or something else, know that God created you intentionally. It may be hard to believe that he was present in those hardest moments, and that's fair. The invitation is to explore how he might be present now and what that could mean. And for Kimberly, verse 17 is particularly clear. It says, how precious to me are your thoughts, God. She sees God's thoughts and his presence as precious to her. But she also knows, and this is what she said at the start, that it is a continuing journey. You know, when we read Psalm 139, sometimes we will do as I did earlier and stop at verse 18, because verse 19 on gets a little heavy. It says, if only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. But then something happens in verse 23. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's almost like David recognizes that his anger is justified, but more than his understanding, he needs to seek God. That more than what he thinks should happen, he needs to release it to God. Kimberly talks about forgiveness in this episode. Andrina talked about it in a previous episode. Troy talked about it in his episode. And man, is it a hard thing to talk about. Forgiveness after trauma. Forgiveness after unjust actions. Forgiveness after childhood trauma. If you're in that place where you've experienced childhood trauma and the idea of offering forgiveness angers you, I hear you. And that's why I'm glad I've recorded this conversation with Kimberly, because it allows me to go back and ask the question, how is it that she was able to forgive? How is it that she was able to grow and to thrive and to draw near to God? And if she's able to do it, if God equipped her to be able to do it, how might God equip me to be able to grow and thrive and forgive beyond my trauma? It can be very hard to believe that God is God and God is good when it comes to something like childhood trauma. But if we're in a place that we're striving to believe it, then the next thing to do is just to take a step towards it. To say, I don't know how this could be true, but I'm going to step as though it is true and see what God does. And as you take those steps, ask yourself, where did you see God? Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash where did you see God, or you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, uh, think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group and you will love listening to the rest of the music. So check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God?